0: God goes to great lengths to rescue lost and hurting people. That's what the story is all about. The story of the Bible, God's great love affair with humanity.
1: In the northern kingdom, Israel, the people continued to turn their backs on God. So God allowed them to be taken prisoner by the nearby country of Assyria. Meanwhile, in the southern kingdom, Judah, there was a new king named Hezekiah, who was only 25 years old. Hezekiah followed God's ways, removing the idols to false gods. God helped him be successful in all he did. The king of Assyria, who had recently taken over Israel, sent one of his commanders to threaten Hezekiah, telling him that God would not protect Judah from Assyria's attack. So Hezekiah went to a prophet named Isaiah for help. Isaiah was a man who God had spoken through many times. Isaiah assured Hezekiah that God would help them defeat the Assyrians. Late that night, the angel of the Lord went through the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 people. The next morning, the remaining Assyrians retreated, terrified. Soon after, Isaiah reminded the Israelites that they were to follow God in all they did. But the people turned away from God again and again, and things continued to get worse for them as a nation. Despite their disobedience, God delivered a promise through Isaiah that a new king and a new kingdom was coming for the Israelites. Isaiah spoke of a man who would one day be rejected by those around him and suffer a terrible death. But somehow, through his death, this man would bring peace and a kingdom that would never end.
0: Good to see everybody here today. Are you are you awake? Good. All right, all right. I expect you to stay awake. Now, if you don't stay awake, something bad will happen. No, I'm just joking. Uh, we're in chapter 16 of the story, and we're looking at a period of history uh in the Old Testament called the Divided Kingdoms. And so it's 208-year period of history. There were 38 kings during this period of history between the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. If you remember uh, from last week and if you've missed out on some of these sermons and you'd like to catch up you can go to the website or their Facebook or YouTube and you can you can watch and, uh, and catch back up but uh, the kingdom of Israel became divided after the death of Solomon Jeroboam jumped up north with 10 tribes and Rehoboam remained in the south with two and uh, and so this is the period of history we're talking about 208 years 38 kings and only five were good thirty three kings were not good during that period of history. There were nine messengers that were sent to Israel with messages to turn back to the Lord, turn from idolatry, but the northern empire did not listen at all, and so uh, they despite the warnings despite the miracles that the uh, that the prophets would do uh the people were their their hearts were not turned uh, to back to God in the northern empire and so Uh, We have this very sad, very tragic uh, demise of the Northern Empire uh, where the Assyrian Empire, which was the largest empire in the ancient Near East at that time, came down with 185,000 soldiers and destroyed the empire, carrying off the people into captivity. And uh, we read about this in 2 Kings. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria, deported the Israelites to Assyria, he settled them in Hala, and goes on on the Harbor River and in the towns of the Medes. So this is a turning point in the history of Israel. 722 BC is when the Northern Empire ends. And it's a tragic end and these people are, are dispersed throughout the empire. Those that survived, many did not survive. The town of Samaria is leveled. In the south, there are the remaining people of Israel and their king, King Hezekiah at that time, are taking note on what is going on north of the border. And it's it's an ominous sign. And so uh, we read this from Isaiah the prophet during that time. He said, you, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines, and they embrace pagan customs. The land is full of silver, gold, and there is no Uh, There's no end to their treasures. The land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Here's what Isaiah is saying to the people in the southern kingdom. Look north. They had plenty of wealth. They had plenty of power. They had plenty of money. And they fell. They, 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 They came to an end. Isaiah goes on to say, their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. So the people were brought low and everyone humbled. Do not forgive them. Go into the rocks, hide in the ground uh, from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride will be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for the proud and the lofty for all that is exalted and they will be humbled. No nation, no man, no woman, no empire of any kind can Put itself up against the Lord and win. Everybody will be humbled. Every knee will bow. Even those who say there is no God one day will confess that the Lord is God. And so this demise of the Northern Empire is this blaring warning going off and off. And and it's like trying to get the attention, Isaiah the prophet, trying to get the attention of all the people that are left and saying, this is a warning sign. Pay attention. And so here's a question. Is God sending us a warning? Now, if you brought somebody to church today for the first time, this is not the question you want them to hear right off the bat. We, we want them to hear, you know, John 3.16 or something like that. But just as God sends forth prophets to talk about the coming Messiah, or just, just as God sends, for, sends forth His gifts of blessings, He also sends forth warnings. And warnings are good things. Sometimes we pay attention to them, sometimes we don't. I know in my house, we have a number of smoke alarms, and they, randomly, the batteries go out, and you can't find that one. Has anybody, you know, got that going on in their life? And like, sometimes you just get tired of looking for it. You know, like it'll go off, and then it'll be like a little while, and it'll go off again, and, and eventually I get, you know, I just give up. I'm like, you know, I know it's something's bad, I know you know, We might burn up in the sleep or something, yeah. but I don't care. I'm just tired of looking for it. So, in other words, what I'm saying is there are warnings that come into our life that we don't pay attention to that we, we really should. But God's warnings are not to fall on deaf ears because there's a history in the Bible that shows that God means what He says and says what He means, and it will call, come to pass. But there are other warnings in our life. There are friends that we have, family members that we have, people that we know or people that we read about. And because of a certain group of choices that they made, their life came to some tragic end. And their, the, the, their demise should be a warning to everyone not to go down this path. This path always ends this way. Then sometimes you'll come to church or you'll be listening to a maybe a preacher on a podcast or something, and, and, and they'll say something and it will just like, man, that is exactly what I'm dealing with. I, I know a number of times over the period of time that I've been a, a minister, I've had people meet me at the door or say to me later on after the service, like, what are you bugging my phone? You know, you got, you got, you got cameras in my house watching me? We are not monitoring anybody that, you're no, that you know about, all right? Just so you know. Just saying that <laughs> sometimes, like, the Holy Spirit connects us with certain words, certain moments that are to be our warning from God to change some course of action, to pay attention. There's something that is not right. We're at a step with God. There's a warning now, in a story today, this, the fall of a Northern Empire, could you imagine the fall of Europe? Like the entire nation of Europe collapses and falls into chaos. Do you, think, do you think the United States might pay attention to that? Well, I would hope so. Well, this is kind of what's taking place here in the Old Testament. Uh, the, the, the Assyrian army has crushed the Northern Empire, and they have not stopped moving. They are going south to where Jerusalem's at, where Hezekiah is. And the remaining Israelites are at. And so the difference, Baker, here is King Hezekiah is a good king. King Hezekiah is ranked above David. Like, he's a great king. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But some of the things that he did at taking over the leadership of Israel at the age of 25 was they were worshiping idols. Uh, Back in many stories ago in the Old Testament, there was this guy named Moses... And he made a bronze serpent to heal the people from these snakes that were overriding. I can't imagine what that night was like. Snakes everywhere, biting and killing people. But he says, if you look on this bronze serpent, you will be healed. And so they did, and they were healed. Well, that thing got put back in the archives somewhere. Later on, Israel pulls that out, and they begin to worship it. Like, it's a god. They made it into an idol. And so he gets that hold of that thing, and he crushes it and gets rid of it. He he digs around in the temple, and he finds other... um, Other idols, Isaiah talks about this. Other prophets talk about the hidden idol worship that was taking place inside the temple, inside the church. There were places that that they were storing these these idols and worshiping. And, And he pulls all that out. He had chosen to follow God's law. And so when Hezekiah gets the word that the northern empire has fallen, he knows his people are troubled, and he says these words to him. He says, Be strong and courageous. Ever heard anybody else say that? Joshua should come to mind. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria and his vast army with him, there is a greater power with us than with them. With him, it's only the arm of the flesh, 185,000 soldiers. But with us, it's the Lord our God that we can't see, touch, feel, right? (laughs) So, you know, kind of, all right? Help us fight our battles. I love that song we sang. that. This is how we fight our battles, right? So when you come up to, God, to get communion today, you're, taking play, you're preparing yourself for the battles that are coming. You're like reminding yourself that the victory has been brought to us through Jesus Christ. That's how we fight our battles. Anyway, uh, and, and, and the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah the king had said. So Hezekiah... His first action, is he takes great courage, gives this message of encouragement to his people. And then the Assyrian leader, he hears about that. And he says, well, I've got another message for the southern kingdom. So he gets his second in command who can speak Hebrew. And he sends him down outside the city of Jerusalem. And this king of Assyria, his second in command, gives this message, or this is part of his message, to, to, the, to, the, to the people inside the walls of Jerusalem. He says... Who of all the gods of these nations that my predecessors destroyed has been able to save his people from me? How then can your God deliver you from my hand? Now, do not let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Do not believe him for no good of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my predecessors. Part of what he says is accurate. There has been no nation that has stood up to the Assyrian Empire and won. And he's right about that. But he's wrong about this, that he is stronger than the Lord God. And so, sometimes we hear a message at church, we're reading the Bible, we hear something on a Christian radio station, you know, some song, and we're like, we're strengthened, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, God's with me. You know, he's, he's right here with me. But then, but then there comes another message from the brokenness inside of us, or from some threat from another individual. And it, it, it's messages that say, you know, not even God can save you from the choices that you've made. Not even God can save your marriage. Not even God can break these bonds of addiction that you've had. This is a family tradition, like Hank Williams Jr. said. It's a family tradition, and well, I hope not and not even god can save you from your same sex attraction issues not even god can save you from this financial you know debt that you're in not even god can do this and like we hear that and we're like man you know this I, i'm going to live with this the rest of my life or i i'm never going to be delivered from this depressed mental state that i have or whatever. i mean you know like we hear those messages and 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 it shakes us even though we've heard the truth even though we know that there's There is a God and that that God loves me. But but we we get these messages. Everybody has to make a decision of who they're going to follow. Now what Hezekiah did was, Hezekiah did not follow the example of his parents, which was terrible. He did not follow the the example of his grandparents. He did not follow the advice from his peers. Hezekiah chose a path based on God's word. Hezekiah broke a family tradition. He broke out of the mold that had destroyed so many people before him. And every person has to make their faith their own. If you've grown up in church, your family drug you to church, you had a drug problem, you know that old joke. You were drugged to church. It, you know, like at some point in time, you've got to own your faith. It's got to be yours. At some point in time, mom and dad will not take you to church. At some point in time, mom, dad, grandpa, guardian will not tell you what's right and wrong. At some point in time, you have to choose who you're going to follow. This uh, young boy that I had a chance to meet with recently, uh, now he's a young man, uh, way bigger than I am. Uh, His name is Kevin and uh, he's getting ready to plant a church in Goldsboro, North Carolina. And so he was up here telling me about that. I hope you guys get a chance to meet him soon. But, uh, but anyway, <coughs> uh, Kevin, when I first met him, was uh, when I'd pick his sisters up for church on Wednesday night in the church van in Roanoke. I'd pick them, pick them up, and then the, the, they asked me one night, can our little brother come? He was about seven at the time. I said, sure. And so he scrambles up into the church fan. you know, this little guy. And uh, as I got to know that family, I got to know a family of of probably some of the greatest family dysfunction I've ever witnessed with my own eyes. Like, the whole family was blown up because of all kinds of bad choices. And I thought about Kevin, man. Like, the only time he was coming in contact with, you know, God that I knew about was Wednesday night. And he'd go sit in a little classroom, and there'd be his faithful teacher there, teaching him these Bible stories, you know. And he grew up in the Lord. And he said, I'm not going to live like my mom. I'm not going to live like my dad. I'm not going to follow the pattern of my older brothers and sisters. I'm going to choose a different path. I'm going to take God's word and I'm going to do what it says. And he has a life that is completely different from his family. He has a life that is full and rich with promise and purpose. And he's a difference maker. He was telling me about like some of the events. He, he took over a student ministry there in Roanoke uh, where I had served for a while he told me about, they had 2,500 people out for an Easter egg hunt. I couldn't believe that. I was like, that's incredible. Way to go, Kevin. Had a a youth group of about 50, 60 people. I mean, it was just just crazy what God had done in his life because he he chose a path of righteousness, not unrighteousness, and it brought healing to his life. That's what King Hezekiah did. He chose a path of God's word. So King Hezekiah the prophet and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out to the Lord of heaven about this. So they get this message, right? They get this message that they're going to be destroyed. And what do they do? They pray. So King Hezekiah picks up the phone and says, Hey, preacher Isaiah, come help me pray. They get on their knees and they lay out this problem out before the Lord. And they begin to pray and ask God to save them. It's called the emergency room prayer. Right? Everybody knows this. God saved me. Like, it's a great prayer because He's the one who can do it. And, and, and the answer that they receive is amazing. I wish it was just easy in all of our lives, but the Lord sent an angel who annihilated the fighting men and the commanders and the officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. And when he went to the temple of his God, some of his sons, his own flesh and blood, cut him down with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib the king of Assyria, and the hand of all others. He took care of them on every side. I wish it was that easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like somebody's come against you. <laughs> it's like, Lord, save me. You open up the paper the next day. And then there's like uh, somebody just died. You know that was Oh, that was the person that was coming after me. You know what I mean? That's what happens. Like sometimes, you know, we wish God would step in into our lives in such a way to deliver us from some enemy just like that. But here's what we have to understand. That Hezekiah had been preparing for the enemy long before this. As I've already stated, when he became king, he began to follow the word of the Lord. And so when this this enemy rises up, he's already in the mindset of, First thing I do is pray, right? And so that's what he does. Then the second thing, the thing that really makes him stand out among all the other kings of Israel, including David, is his commitment to purity. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites. He assembled them in the square of the east side. And he said, listen to me, Levites. Listen up. Consecrate yourselves now and... Consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all the defilement from the sanctuary. Hey, you priests, you preachers, clean your act up. And while you're cleaning your act up, clean up the church. Get straight. Get right with the Lord. We're taking a new path. What was done before is done. We're not doing that anymore. We're going to choose a path of purity to consecrate means to dedicate yourself to the Lord to take out everything that's defiling you to take out all the separ- all the things that separate us from God and get it out and so this is what Hezekiah tells the people to do when they had assembled their fellow evil uh, Levites, they consecrated themselves, they went in to purify the temple as the Lord of the king had ordered following the word of the Lord. The priests went into the sanctuary of the Lord to purify it. They brought out into the courtyard of the Lord's temple everything unclean they found in the temple of the Lord. The Levites took it and carried it out to the Kidron Valley. There were uh, were stuff, idols, stuck in the temple of worship, in the church. And they brought that stuff out and they destroyed it. There were a lot of people mad because those things were of great value. They were made out of gold, silver, wood, stone, all that type. And it was destroyed. And so, and the, this, is, this happens in the first month of Hezekiah's reign. In the first month, he didn't try to please anybody, he just, he, he's going to try to please the Lord. And so, he cleanses himself, the, the, the leaders do, and, and, and so his standard of purity was not what his peers said. His standard of purity was the Bible. What does the Bible say? Book, chapter, verse, what does it say? Because that's the standard. I, your opinion is not the standard. How you feel about it? it is not the standard. What God's Word said is the standard. He didn't compare himself with others. He compared himself with Scripture. This is truth. I, I know this is going to be one of the biggest battles it is right now certainly will be for future generations what is the standard of right and wrong it's god's word we have to have a standard right we depend upon them standards of purity are important i read some very disturbing information this week and i wanted to share it with you so you could be disturbed with me uh about the fda all right so there's some standards of purity um, they allow the sale of coffee beans that are only nine percent infected with with different types of insects. Only nine, you know, ten percent can't sell it, but up to nine percent, what servers crawl around in there, you can sell. I hope you're enjoying your coffee this morning. Uh, your favorite spices can contain s- leftover cigarette butts, sticks, stones, and uh, insect. Uh, pieces, right? Uh, and, and it's not a lot. It's, it's like 10%, okay? Next time you buy cinnamon, it may not all be cinnamon. Uh, here's another one. There can be up to 204 different types of uh, infestation of insects in a 12-ounce bag of broccoli. Hmm, okay. <laughs> oh, I like this one. This is one of my favorite ones. Uh those dark specks in your cornmeal, all right. Those are rodent doo-doo pot pieces, you know. I mean that's what that is. Like and it's allowed up to about twelve percent, you know, in your cornmeal. So I can see you ladies going home or you guys, you know, getting your cornmeal out and sifting through it. Are there are really dark spots in here. Uh, here's another one. Um, you can have up to thirteen fragments of insects or maggots in a 28 eight, can, a twenty-eight ounce can of tomatoes. So next time you buy a can of tomatoes, you can have, uh, you know, that amount of bugs or whatever, all right? So everybody's going home to have spaghetti dinner, I'm sure, right? All right, so like when we hear these things, we're like, man, I, I don't want to eat that. I mean, we're eating that, like at some point, we're eating some things that we probably didn't know we were eating, but When it comes to what we take into our soul, you know, we want pureness. And the only place we can find pureness is from the Lord. He's the source of what's pure. Now, one thing I don't have to remind anyone is, like, why they come to church. I don't have to tell anyone they're a sinner. I don't have to tell anyone you failed. I don't have to tell anyone that you've screwed up part of your life. Like, we all get it. Like, there are parts of my life, there are things that I've done, said, I get it. But how do I become pure? How do I clear out, you know, whatever is not supposed to be in my life? God's word has a lot to say about that. So it begins with, 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 with making a decision to put your faith in Christ and be baptized into him. This water, this is First Peter 3.21, this water symbolizes baptism now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a clear conscience before God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reason baptism is important is because it symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There's the power. The power is what Jesus did. He he, he beat death. Why? He was perfect. And so, what I like about this verse, and I often almost always share this verse with people who are considering making a decision to be baptized, is that part about a clear conscience. Have you ever laid down to sleep? And your conscience was not clear. I have. I wish I wouldn't have said that. wish I wouldn't have done that. But here's the good news. In Christ. We are cleansed from all of this. Giving us a peace that passes. Giving us a, a an understanding that we stand right before the Lord. Even if people say we're not right. God has declared us to be right. And so. So, I don't know, have you resolved to live your life following Jesus? Like, step number one, be baptized. This purifying continues through the Word of God. Uh, We read this from Ephesians 5, 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the Word. How does the Word wash us? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm sure many stories can be told about you. reading the Bible, and you're like, oh, man. This part of the Bible says, whatever is pure and noble, dwell on these things. And then you're like, you know, you flip on Netflix and you're like, that's not fitting in that. So that's out. It's because God's word speaks into our life. And it begins to give us direction about choices that we're making. And these choices are, are, are driving us back into where we should be. Like a rumble, a rumble strip on the side of the road. Like, I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you kind of get kind of sleepy and you're, you know, and I don't know what it is. My wife could be sound asleep, but when she hears the rumple strip thing, she just wakes up and just, I get punched in the chest and, you know, you know are, are we going to die? No, honey, and if we do, we know Jesus, so get over it, all right? But, but anyway, you, you get it. I mean, like, like the Bible is like speaking to our life, keeping us, keeping us where we need to be. And then another thing that brings cleansing into our life is if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us and of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Can it be that easy? When God is the power behind the purification, it can and is that easy. Confess your sins. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes confession is hard. You're praying with a buddy or you're talking to your wife, talking to your husband, whatever, you know. Like, parent talking to their child, child talking to their parent. Like, it's not easy to confess. And, and, and the way you confess is you identify what you know is out of sync with God and how it makes you feel. So, you know, you say something like, okay, I've been lying to you about this and I just feel terrible about it. And I want to make it right. And my experience has been most people are very gracious in receiving an honest confession. God is even more gracious. God's like, I already knew that. I'm glad you came to an awareness of that. Now we can move on with our relationship. Confession drags out whatever darkness is in our life into the grace and truth of Jesus Christ, into the light of God. And it's exposed and like, you know, like that rodent in your coffee or that, that whatever in your tomato paste, you know. It's brought out in the light and it sees the light and it shrivels up and it dies, you know, like some horror movie. But, but, but this is what God's Word does. It, but, it, but confession, if we don't confess it, it remains a trap for us. Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 59, 1 through 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. God can save anyone. Nor is ear too dull to hear. God can hear any confession. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. That hidden your face from you is a Hebrew word, helil. And it means to, uh, to... cause to hide like shame and guilt cause us to hide where were Adam and Eve after they sinned in the garden when God came walking in the cool of the evening they were hiding in the bushes and so unconfessed sin causes us a bigger separation between God and between those people who love us we we, we were hiding from it and so it's painful to admit that we have failed but it is the right thing to do and so we read this from Isaiah as well. Surely he took up our pain and bore our guilt and suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And his wounds we are by his wounds we are healed. And so this verse is not talking about Hezekiah. It's talking about Jesus. This prophet Isaiah was looking ahead. Because what's going to happen to the kingdom of Israel? Is they're going to fail again after the death of Hezekiah? Even before Hezekiah's death, they begin to fall back in idolatry. And that system of old that taught them about sin was also teaching them that they needed a savior. And so that's what this this prophecy is about. One who will come and bear the sin of... Of all mankind. What's interesting about this verse, the background behind this verse, is that during Isaiah's lifetime, during King Hezekiah's lifetime, it was typical of kings and kingdoms to practice a substitutionary death among someone among the people. So, what they would do is if there was a bad omen, like there had been drought or there was an eclipse where there was uh, some type of like tornado. And they saw that as an omen. They saw that the gods were against them. What they would do is they would find somebody, a simpleton, who would be the substitutionary king for a while. And so they'd bring this substitutionary king in, and they'd let the curse of the gods fall upon that king. And then sometimes they put that person to death. And then that took care of the problem. And so when Isaiah is giving us... These verses, it's in the context of that practice among the ancient Near Eastern kingdoms. And so, <laughs> Isaiah is saying, there's one coming who will be not, not just a substitutionary death, but he will take care of the whole effect of sin. He will take care of the sin issue. So, Jesus Christ took the judgment that we deserved. And you're like, can I really be purified? Can I really be made whole? The answer is Yes. So this whole thing about Christmas, this whole thing about Jesus coming to the earth, it's about the, the broken relationship is now repaired by this Messiah that has finally arrived. Peace on earth is not talking about the ending of war and that the Democrats and the Republicans all get along and kiss each other. It's not talking about that at all. What it is talking about is that there's this hostility between God and his creation. Between the father and his children who have rebelled. And now peace can be made because Jesus has been born. And so this is what this is talking about. So the greatest re- gift we've ever received is this, is this being purified. So here's the point. The righteousness of Christ purifies us and protects us from evil. How does righteousness of Jesus protect you from evil? A couple weeks ago... Uh, my in-laws were in town, and they bought a brand new vehicle, a brand new Toyota uh, something. And it had this thing called lane assist. Some of you might already have new vehicles with lane assist. Like, I didn't like it, but I get it. Like, so you're driving down the road, and you, you're you going to make a lane change without using your signal. Lane assist says, oh, oh, you can't do that. It pulls you back. And i like, I started doing that. And I didn't like it. But... But what it was doing, the, the, the safeguard was keeping me in my lane and keeping me from hurting someone else. And so when we understand that Christ has purified us, this, these new standards of, of what's right and what's wrong, these new standards of what I'm going to allow come into my life, they begin to keep us out of the lanes that will destroy us. Not just destroy us, but destroy the people that we love. And so God's word brings us light. Christ's righteousness gets us away from that guilt and shame that so traps us. It brings in this, this, this help, if you will, to keep us on a path that leads to life and not death. But everybody has to choose. Everybody has to make a decision. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity uh, to bring this, this message. And there's some repetitiveness in these messages and uh and it's just to show us over and over again how desperate we are for a savior lord i love you and it's in jesus name that we pray amen
1: thank you for joining us you can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org